You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Steal home! Fernando Tatis Jr. just walked in! Wow. If you think it's making excuses, good, go crap in a lake. I don't care. You know, maybe the Canucks could have got it done if they'd come really hot really fast. Yeah, I might reckon. Small things. Okay, don't sing it anymore. Hey, what's up? It is another edition of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd here with uh, Jason Bruff. And as you can tell from the intro, just another packed night on the sports calendar yesterday. Cra- crazy times in sports. You know, I was <laughs> I was doing the prep last night and I was like, well, we're going to have to yeah. leave a lot of stuff I was going to say, sometimes you know? the hard thing is to decide, uh, you know, what to leave on the cutting room yeah, floor, right? You know? I, just, I would love to talk about it, but we just yeah, can't get to it tomorrow. I just do, do not know if we'll be able to cover every baseball game that happened last night. <laughs> but we're going to do our darndest. Time. We're going to run through the whole league, get into all the details. Uh, we do have a good show coming up, though, uh, despite our, our banter here. Uh, four guests on the program. Trey Wingo, really looking forward to this, uh, at 630. He is the senior NFL analyst uh, for Pro Football Network and the 33rd team. He's coming up at 630. At 7, Adam Stanley, of course, uh, PGA analyst, uh, will join us and Bruff, very, very excited for that one. And I will ask him the question. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to that segment. I actually want to ask Adam um, whether or not he thinks the concept of team golf could work in Mm. the PGA Tour. Because there's two reasons for that. First of all, Liv tried it, and I think Saudi Arabia wants to do it. So maybe that's one of their investment projects in the PGA Tour. But also, like, the Ryder Cup is coming up. And we all know how awesome that is, at least golf fans do. Okay, not to derail going through the lineup here, but like, what's the. Why is Saudi Arabia so committed to this idea I don't of team know. golf? Like, what's the uh, deal? Well, maybe they can. Maybe they just see some sort of opportunity to bring in a new idea to everyday golf. Yes. You know, know, like the team golf is pretty limited to the Ryder Cup, President's Cup. Yep. Um, there's a couple of tournaments where it's like two guys team up and, and play, but I just wonder if there's like a money making opportunity to have like franchises. I was gonna say, is it know? like about merch? You know what I Could mean? Be. Like you start yeah. a team and then over, oh, I'm a big fan. I'm of actually, team. I'm actually kind of curious about it. Like I think, it would, yeah. I think it would be. I think it would be cool. So we'll talk to Adam Stanley about that. I'm sure he has some good thoughts on it. Uh, 7.30 from The Athletic, our guy Thomas Drance joining us. Uh, You heard a great Drancer clip on the intro there. We will talk to him about uh, some of our forced Canucks debates, uh, the Pew Suter deal, which I don't think he's been on the radio to talk about. He's written like at least two articles about Mm -hmm. it at The Athletic. He was so excited. Well, we, we can talk to him about that article he wrote while he was walking around Vancouver. And he was talking about, like, what a meaningful, successful season for the Canucks would be. And I think he he made a lot of good points in his article. Like, it has to be more than just uh, make the playoffs or not, mm. right? Like, there has to be some more, I don't know how you describe it, like, qualitative mm-hmm. aspects to it as opposed to just which is weird for Drance because you normally all about the yes, numbers right yeah. like but but you just have to like feel that the direction of the franchise is turning around like there have to be other things besides like hey they made the playoffs like well what if they made the playoffs by one point yeah and then get swept and, and then get and, swept you know but, and 
Tom Olander has a brutal season in, in, yeah. in the NCAA. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. That sort of thing. Like yeah. the, all the drama that popped up last season still managed to pop up this season. Yeah. Uh, and at eight, Richie Larea, uh, one of the newest signings of the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, will join us for a chat. So really looking forward to that big show. But we will start it off with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? Uh, before we get into what happened, I got some reads I got to get through here. Halford and Bruff, brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. And, of course, I also want to tell you about the very exciting contest uh, that Sportsnet 650 and the BC Lions have partnered on. Your chance to win a seat for you and nine, a suite, I should say, for you and nine friends to watch the BC Lions versus the Hamilton Tiger Cats from a private luxury suite on Saturday, August 26th, it's a 4 p.m. game. You will be hosted by none other than Halford, Bruff, A-Dog, and Laddie. Yes, that's right. All four of them there with you and nine friends. You can enjoy the game in complete comfort. Feel like a VIP from your own private suite. Plus, your prize package also includes BC Lion shirts, hats, foam fingers, hot dogs, popcorn, snacks, in the suite as well. You can go to sportsnet.ca slash 650 and click on the contest page to enter. Winner will be announced on Monday. And if you're really lucky, one of you can drive me home. <laughs> Please, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You had me at hot dogs. That's all I needed to say. Please yeah, only dogs? enter right. if you have your driver's license. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's Bruff's request. Please. If you're willing to drive Bruff home. Yeah, I have a party to go to that night. So I, this is my, my warm-up. Uh, uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, let's get into what happened. As mentioned, pretty quiet night on the sports schedule. In baseball, Jays lose to the Phillies. They were going for the mini sweep, the two-game sweep. Instead, they lose... 9-4, uh, and coupled with the Mariners' win now, I believe, uh, the Mariners beat Kansas City. The Mariners are now just a game back of the Jays for that final wild card spot. The Jays three games back uh, of the Houston Astros for the second wild card spot. Okay, so you're a big Jays fan, am, right? Yes. Okay, uh, Laddie, you're a big Jays fan. How ahead. how are you guys feeling about the team right now from a from a fan perspective? Ah, uh, well, there's two two halves. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. The mm. pitching staff, I'm in love with. Everyone else, <laughs> it's been a struggle. Everyone it's been probably the most frustrating team I've watched mm. in my baseball are, life. Are you yelling at the TV a lot when you're watching the games? Uh, only when there's runners in scoring position, which is <laughs> <Right> quite often. <laughs> yeah. Come on, get it done. Nope. Why are you hitting 180 or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. been very frustrating because they're, they're a great hitting team. Until there's runners until in scoring there's, Until position. it matters. Yeah. <laughs> until it's like, it would be good to have a hit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, okay, this is not working out. And, and you know, I have to be honest with you. We'll get to you in just a sec, Jamie. But, like, Laddie is, like, such a good, loyal, and for the most part, um, like, even 
even tempered sure. fan. Like he's he's which makes him a really boring fan. Like he's not living well, baseball. in baseball. Yeah, but 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 yes, that's baseball. That's I know baseball. that's baseball. I know there's 162 games, but there's still some people that watch their teams. Like even though there's 162 yeah. games, that they're just like, ah, come on, like yeah. you know, like. Uh, even earlier in the season, but like you, I could not get a reaction out of Laddie earlier in the season. I'm like, are you getting, are you getting a little bit strikeouts and rums going? That's sequencing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, but now I can, I can sense like, it's not full blown panic. You're still kind of that's baseball-y with this team. Um, It's getting to the point where it matters now though. So it's it's, it's ramping up a little. Yeah. yeah. So like the, the, the stakes are starting to build because this Mariners hot streak, although they, you know, it looked like they they might have peaked, but now they've they've won a couple come now, back yeah. and won a couple of pretty exciting games uh, in Kansas City. Like, like Jamie, I'll ask you now. Like, what happens if they miss the playoffs? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. And just to the kind of the fan reaction point you're talking about with Laddie, like for me, it's not panic because I've already reached a stage of like resignation. Like, that this team probably just doesn't have the goods, so they're not going to do much. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. They probably will miss the playoffs because they can't get out of their own way. So it's it's moved beyond panic even. You know is what I that, mean? Is that the runners in scoring position thing? Yeah. and So, it, it, so like, for me, though, I mean, how much of that is just – is that bad luck? So I should say it? it's the runners in scoring position thing, which I think a lot of it is bad luck. But the – the number one thing is Vladdy. And Vladdy, it's not just runners in scoring position. He's just not himself. And that's what they need. They need a legit middle-of-the-order bat, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he was hitting more solo home runs, it would look a lot different. But he, I think he's just completely in his own head right now. And he, he's not the player. He's not even close to the player they need him to be. And I don't think that is just luck or something that's like bound to regress. Like a lot of the runners and scoring position stuff is, I think, and that could change next year, but it's not, it's not bad luck that he's been really frustrating. And I think for me, those two things taken together, it's just like, if, if that's the case, they probably don't have the goods. He's probably probably the most frustrating out of the entire group because he's still showing some signs of life. There was a stat they showed actually at the Rogers center when I was there, that he's second in the league in hard hit balls behind a. Oh yeah, no, he the like, ball like pops off his bat just yeah. directly into the ground it's for a double play. The most frustrating <laughs> thing, right? And and like I said, he's not having a horrible season. He's, no, by by the average baseball standard, he's do, having an okay season. Do you think he, he would have won the hitting into a double play competition? Yes, well, well him and Kirk would have a good challenge. You should you could you should have seen him in that one. Yeah, Kirk with his speed will give him a good run for his money. <laughs> so um, you've got two key players for the Jays and they're different, but these guys were expected to be at a high level. And one is Manoa. Mm. He's down in the minors and who who saw that coming? Like maybe someone saw a little regression coming, right? Like maybe he won't be a Cy Young candidate, but like, I don't think anyone saw him twice demoted to the minors and the Jays sitting there going like, well, we can't even like trust this guy. Like he can't even, we can't even start him. And then Vladdy obviously hasn't struggled as much as Manoa, but, you know, he struggled. So I guess the question is, if if they miss the playoffs, or even if they squeak into the playoffs and it lasts like two games or whatever, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Maybe a bit like last season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like where do they go from here? Do they just keep trying? To, are they worried about keeping some of their young talent then long term? That like that's I think starting to be the conversation 
around the Jays because for so long it was about okay we have this young talented core right centered around Bichette and Guerrero and we're going to build around them but you have to start looking now at well what are, what are the decisions we're going to make about their future do we want to try to sign Vlad mm-hmm. Guerrero to a long-term contract do we want to try to lock up Bo Bichette what's the ceiling with this team and the interesting thing is you know they already kind of used a pretty big card this offseason when they you know, okay, we're, we're they said that basically the team is too structured around hitting home runs, not enough defense, not enough versatility. That's why they let Teoscar Hernandez go. That's why they traded for Dalton Varsho. They tried to remake this team around you know defense and and a, a little more hitting for contact, run speed. prevention. I think yeah, is what run they prevention, and that's worked to an extent. Except now the team's offense drives you insane, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, they already you already tried to restructure the team and like, okay, it wasn't working out that way. We're going to remake our identity. And it feels like this management group has been there long enough. They've hired a few, a couple of different managers. Like at a certain point, you start to wonder if they're if they're the people to help the team make the next step. So, what are the decisions that they've got to make with Bichette and Vladdy? I'm just trying to look up when is Vladdy a free agent. It's not. It's still not for a couple of years. Yeah, it's coming up though. But it's like it's starting to loom. The in conversations the, in the should be happening. Yeah, right. exactly. It's it's kind of the time where if you want to be proactive, right, and lock them up, like now is the time to do it, mm. right. And I think actually some people would even say over the last couple of years they've maybe missed an opportunity to be proactive and and try to lock those guys up to long. He's actually deals. on a one year right now because they avoided arbitration, right. So he's making fourteen point five mil. At this point in time, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like all their contract negotiations are going to be interesting. Like, what does an Alec Manoa contract look like at this point? Right? Like, how do you even begin? <laughs> like, yeah, you, if you're on the Manoa camp, you're obviously you're, you're flouting those numbers from the first season, and then if you're on the other side, it's like, well, you bombed this year. So, but like, wow, they they would never say like, well, we don't really want to sign Vladdy or Bichette long term now, would they? Uh, well, I think like the how, how would they, is, how would they, how would they operate that way? Like, I think the problem is with Vladdy. If you were to like, do you want to sign him long-term at the number that he would agree to at this point? Right. Right. Given okay. that he's basically had one high level season in the majors at this point, and he's had other decent seasons, but yeah. not necessarily like star caliber seasons, but he's going to demand to be he, paid but at he, the highest level. He is wants to be in that kind of Acuna, Fernando Tatis class of players, right? Where right. it's like, no, I'm a middle of the order slugger. I want to be making, you know. Is he going to steal home? <laughs> I'd love to see him try. Yeah. That'd be exciting. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's, I guess it's slightly reminiscent of the PD situation. And since there's not much going on, let's do another one of these forced Canucks debates. When are you expecting an extension to be signed like if you had to if you had to bet and there was like these different options Mm -hmm. of like okay he's gonna sign before training camp or let's say before this season starts to make it simpler or he's gonna start he's gonna sign during next season or it's gonna be the following off season or he's not gonna sign at all where would you put your money right now I think I would take Next offseason. So not off before season. this season, not during the season, next offseason, right? It does seem and, like. And, and that is going to take some PRing from the Canucks mm-hmm. if that's the case. Like, 
We had conversations like Patrick Alvina said, listen, we're going to meet with the representation, PD's representation, maybe a little closer to training camp because a lot of, a lot of people are on vacation right now, right? Like it's hard. These deals require a lot of people mm-hmm. involved. Um, and there's a lot of things to get done. And, you know, PD needs a vacation too. I don't, I don't know where he is right now in the world. I see him like boating with Nils Hoglander yes. over in Sweden. So like, he he needs a break, and and I'm I'm sure he's still working out. But the contract talks, like a lot can get done in a few days. So once everyone starts coming back into town, you can set up some meetings with PD's representations and have some uh, and have some talk. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm prepared to be surprised. Like mm-hmm. oh, we we actually got it done. But I'm also just wondering from PD's perspective if he might want to slow play this just a little bit, just to see how the season goes, um, just to see if he wants, he really wants to be here long-term. Yeah, and I mean, the the messaging we've heard from his agent has been that there's basically no rush. Now, they've also said, look, we'll talk in the fall, right, and we'll see if we can do something, but there's not in, uh, it doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency on Pedersen's side to get a deal done, and that makes sense because the whole idea of, and I can see this argument, right? Okay, you had a 102-point season. Just sign a deal now, right? That's an incredible platform year. Cash in on that. Strike while the iron is hot. But the thing is, he can take a big step back in terms of point production and still be in line to make an incredible deal, right? Like, yeah. even if he has 80 points next year, but he's a really good two-way player, like, he's still going to get a great deal. He's, he's still going to he, get a great he, contract. He's got the Vladdy reputation, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, he's an elite talent. Yeah, exactly. So, you know? you know, there's not that much risk. Like, obviously, there's always risk inherent, especially in a sport like hockey. And, you know, if he completely falls off the map, that changes things. But he's in a really good position where, yeah, he's coming off a great platform year, but he doesn't. it's not like he needs to do it again in order to get a great deal, right? Like, yeah. he's put himself in a position, no matter when he signs, it's going to be for a nice contract. What about some of this talk that we're hearing? And I don't know if it's informed speculation or just pure speculation that it might be a shorter-term deal for Petey. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is driven by the idea that we're going to see that more in the NHL in general. And like, like really, Austin we've Matthews only seen, yeah, like Austin deal. Matthews yeah. types contracts. And he's really the only one, I think, yeah. who's done that. I don't know. I mean, like, as you say, like, is that just speculation? Is that informed speculation? I have no idea. I think it changes. It makes it more like if he's willing to go short term, I guess it makes it more likely that they're able to get a deal done. Or I should say if he wants to go short term, yeah, right? Because yeah. then it's less like you're marrying your whole career to the Canucks. Eight years is a long time. Eight years like, is a long time. That would be given, giving time. his entire prime mm-hmm. to the Vancouver Canucks. And he's he prepared to do that now, which begs the question: What would the fan reaction be if PD signed a three-year extension? Whew. I mean, it it would kind of to me it would bring to mind like an NBA situation, right? What which, if you matched him with Quinn's contract, yeah, for example? So that'd be four more years. I mean that he's then, got, but he's got next year, so it would be a three-year extension, right? 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be fascinating. Yeah. But again, it kind of brings to mind the NBA where teams are kind of constantly on notice that, okay, we are always thinking, even like mm-hmm. Joel Embiid has like a, just signed a four year extension, but we talked to yeah. uh, Keith Pompey from Philly and they're like, oh yeah, we're worried about, they're worried about keeping him. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you just signed an extension, but you're kind of always in that position where you're worried about the next deal or the next new right. move for a superstar. And I think if that was 
the situation with Pedersen and Hughes, that's exactly what the conversation would be like here, right? Like, can we put a good enough team around them where they want to stay, where they choose to stay? Mm -hmm. And you would have that immediate ticking clock time pressure. Would the cap hit go up or down with the short term? It would be down, right? You would think so. Yeah. Theoretically, yeah. yeah. Theoretically, it would go down. So now, maybe that's a, that's a, that's an, you could see the Canucks making that argument to mm -hmm. themselves or at least selling it with a shorter term contract for PD. We can add mm -hmm. maybe another key player. It's the, the question is how much of a discount are you getting, right? Yeah. Is it like a 500,000 AAV discount? Is it more than that? And I think, you know, you look at Austin Matthews, how much of a discounted he take on his five-year deal probably not much mm. right he's still got a really really good salary sure. yeah, yearly yeah. salary so i think yeah. that's the concern is that yeah theoretically you can go a little bit shorter term and maybe get a discount and maybe that helps you put a contender on the ice in that deal but when you're dealing with an elite player like Pedersen, how much does that discount actually materialize oh we got a text into the dunbar lumber text line how does jamie dodd feel about long-term contracts as compared to halford For halford halford hates the long-term contracts in the nhl and i'm kind of on board with him right like i would like if there was a limit of five years mm. i i just i think that would make it uh i think that would make it better i think that it would it would create fewer um like awful contracts mm -hmm. and maybe that's just me being you know somewhat scarred from the Canucks, like the Luongo contract, you know, took a lot out of me mentally. And then you had, you know, your Louis Erickson's and your Oliver Ekman Larson's, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like if, if the max is five, mm -hmm. then there's going to be more short-term contracts, right? Like it's, it's just, it's, it's just going to trickle down. I imagine like not everyone would sign a five-year deal. If the culture around signing players kind of changed a little bit to more of a short-term, more of an NBA style thing, um, you know, I find it, I, I, I know the question is for you, but, it, but I find it like depressing sometimes, like the past few years when I've looked at the Canucks cap situation and been like, how are they going to get out of this? <laughs> like, this is going to take a long time is the only answer for this time. And I don't like that. I don't think that's good for a league. I don't think it's good when teams look at their or fans, look at their yeah. team and they're like, we're screwed for a while. Well, I think that's the big, so if we're talking about, you know, how do I feel about teams giving long-term eight-year deals like well if it's a player like Elias Pettersson I feel really good about it that's a good bat from the team's perspective if we're talking about it from a league-wide entertainment perspective yeah I, I I think again to make the comparison to the NBA four-year max five-year if you're re-signing your own player and what that does is one as you say you're never you're never too far away from being able to turn things around, from having a clean slate, right? From having a situation where, okay, yeah, we signed these bad deals, but now they only have one year left and we can start planning for the future. You're never too far from that. And it just it, it promotes player movement, which is a thing we talk about all the time in the NHL, how there is relatively yeah. little of it. If all of a sudden all you can sign is a five-year deal, like if everyone's on the Austin Matthews plan, basically every superstar mm -hmm. is on the Austin Matthews plan, it creates that situation where teams are going to be constantly feeling the pressure to be trying to convince their star players, like, "Hey, no, we're the, we're where you should be," and I think that would be good. I, I think, think so too. like lighting a little bit of a fire under the feet of these teams would be good for the league ultimately. 
Uh, Keaton texts in, I'm only 28. Congratulations, Keaton. So I didn't completely understand the cap dynamics when Lou was getting traded. Also, we didn't have Drant stuffing it down our throats every day for two hours. Could you guys please go into how difficult it was for the Canucks to trade Lou at the time? What were some of the complications and what was his value perceived across the league at the time? There were there were multiple complications. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so complicated. It was a long contract. They brought in this cap recapture rule. Um, and that made it very difficult for the Canucks to trade him. Um, it was also trying to get value for him, right? They didn't yeah. just want to give him away. And, you know, the, Lou, everyone knew he was, a, he, was a, he was a great goalie, but he was getting a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And there were some warts on him, right? Like, the, there honestly were. In the Stanley Cup final in 2011, even though he put up great numbers during the playoffs, like, they – you know, Schneider beat him out for the job at times, mm-hmm. right? You know, you look back on the on the soap opera, and it's sometimes hard to piece it together in chronological chronological order. But like, that was basically the complication. There were very few teams that were going to be in on Roberto Luongo. Toronto acted like they were yeah. interested, and I think that might have just been the Leafs playing the Canucks a little bit. Or at the very least, they wanted him for basically for free. And then the uh, the Heritage Classic happened, and they went back and just talked to Florida again. And Florida was one of those teams that was had the cap space and was willing to uh, trade for Lou because, like, he was a legend in Florida, at least as, among, uh, as much a, as a <laughs> as hockey player be. could yeah. be a legend in Florida. Have I missed anything on that? No, I think that and that, that was a big part of it, right? Is the limited destinations. And it always seemed like it was going to be Florida yeah. in the end, right? Uh, we got to take a break. Keep your texts coming in, 650-650. Up next, we'll talk some NFL with Trey Wingo here on the Halford & Bruff Show, Sportsnet 650. Missing the Canucks? Subscribe to the Canucks Central Podcast and get alerts for breaking news episodes. Daily shows return in September. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodge here with Jason Bruff. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your What We Learned submissions in now. We'll read them coming up at 8.30. Hashtag WWL, what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Uh, but right now, we are very pleased to be joined by our next guest to talk a little NFL. He is a senior NFL analyst uh, for Pro Football Network and the 33rd team. He is Trey Wingo. Uh, Trey, thank you very much for making time for us today. How are you? Uh, great to be with you guys. What's going on? Not too much. Uh, just uh, getting excited for the start of the NFL regular season in a few weeks. Lots to uh, to dive into uh, around the league right now. One of the interesting stories for me, the most interesting stories this week was uh, the Colts naming Anthony Richardson as their week one starter uh, in Indy. And, you know, first of all, what was uh, what was your reaction to to that decision in Indy? Well, I mean, it's sort of the same reaction I had to Bryce Young being named the starter in Carolina. Um, these decisions weren't made in training camp or by some preseason play. They were made the night they were drafted. And I fully expect that C.J. Stroud will also be named a starting quarterback for week one for the uh, Houston Texans pretty soon. Look, um, 
Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, said it when he drafted uh, Anthony Richardson fourth overall after just 13 starts at the University of Florida. He said it's some, sometimes you just got to take a shot at it. In other words, if this season doesn't work out, I'm fiery anyway, so I might as well take a swing for the fences and, and hopefully hit a home run. I mean, Anthony Richardson, it, to me, is the most uh, polarizing draft pick in terms of his ceiling being so high, but also his floor being so low. Uh, and if you watch, you know, his, his preseason play against the Bills, I mean, he, he did a couple of nice things. He also made a really boneheaded throw into space that was easily picked off. So this was a decision that had nothing to do based on play. It had everything to do with based on when he was chosen. And we'll see if that turns out to be a good thing or a bad thing for the Colts. Which which of the young quarterbacks is in the best position to succeed? That's really a great question because I'm not sure any of them are, if we're being honest about it. I mean, there's a reason those teams were picking where they were picking, right? Uh, Houston would have had the number one pick if, if Lovey Smith didn't say, screw you guys, I'm, I'm playing for a win last week of the regular season. I mean, they're all not good teams. Uh, so the question then becomes is which quarterback do you trust the most? And of that, you'd have to start with Bryce Young because you talk to anybody about Bryce and his football acumen is off the charts. He has ability to do everything you would want. But, guys, he's so small. Like, he's not, like, kind of small. He's really small. And, you know, there were reports that he was playing at Alabama at 175 pounds, and people said, well, he played at a high level at Alabama. That's great. Put together the best all-Alabama team ever, and, you know, the Texans would probably destroy them because that's the difference in quality of competition between the NFL and college football. So I think Bryce has the most weapons and the most things he brings to the table but he is just so small, and that if I'm a Panthers fan, that would absolutely scare me to death every time he stepped on the field. You know, why, why do you think teams are a little bit more reluctant, or at least it seems like they're a little bit more reluctant to kind of slow play it with their young quarterbacks now, let them sit for a year and, and develop? And, I mean, I look even in, in Indianapolis, like they have Gardner Minshew, who's a, you know, as a backup quarterback in the NFL or a spot starter is a pretty credible option. But it just doesn't seem like we see that as much these days around the league. Uh, I completely agree, and I, and I wish I could uh, make an explanation for it because – uh, well, here's the explanation. Team's got to win now, okay? You know, uh, the the old head coach, the original head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were first uh, brought in the league, you know, he said he had a five-year plan to get to the playoffs, and they got and they got there. And they asked him, why did he have a five-year plan? He said, because they had a five-year contract. Uh, you know, that that's why the plan was five years. Uh, nobody gets five years anymore, right? And, you know, a couple of years ago, Mike Pettin didn't last 365 days as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Everyone wants to win and put the pedal to the metal right away. And that is where this comes from. You know, famously, Blake Bortles, when he was drafted in the top four, I think, in 2013, uh, they were going to redshirt him. And then he played his third or fourth game. Like, there is just this rush to get these guys onto the field. And there, there's no there's no blueprint that says if you rush them, they won't work, or if you sit them, they will work. We've seen sort of examples of both sides, and most famously recently, Patrick Mahomes is a great example of that. He sat, you know, the first 15 games of his regular of his rookie season behind Alex Smith, and then got in a spot start uh, just to rest the starters in the in the season finale 
against the Denver Broncos, and obviously Patrick Mahomes is the greatest player in the game right now, but that's because he's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and I don't know how much. I'm sure it did help, but I don't know how much uh, sitting helped him as opposed to being with Andy Reid really, really helped him. Uh, I, it, but it, it is a problem, and you, you can lose a guy. Like, you, you can lose a guy f- for, uh, for getting him out there way too early. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's just panic all the way across. There's panic all the way across because people feel pressure to win and win now. The old slogan is the NFL stands for not for long. Well, Aaron Rodgers has been in the league for a while. Uh, he's got a new new uh, team in the New York Jets. Um, he says he's not worried yet about the Jets' offensive line. Do you believe him? No. But what else is he going to say? Yeah, they suck. Like, I'm screwed, guys. You know, I mean, like, what's he supposed to say? These guys are crap. I mean, like, he's kind of done that before, though. I would not play a JV game. With these guys, but see that's the thing, right? This this whole Aaron Rodgers thing I find so hilarious, and that's why I find Hard Knocks sort of very disingenuous this year. It's purposely set up to be a love affair about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, and that's been the whole thing since you know he got there. You know the the pictures of him, you know at the Taylor Swift concert with Miles Teller and everybody else singing. It's all oh, it's, Aaron's great. It's so wonderful. Well, that's because he hasn't played a game yet. You know, um, and if it starts slowly and there's a real possibility that it will start slowly, if you look at their schedule, you know, he can't say what he said in Green Bay a few years ago. Everybody needs to relax. R-E-L-A-X. You know what they'll say in New York if he tries that? Screw you, buddy. You're supposed <laughs> to be the difference. Go out there freaking win. I don't hear this relaxed BS. So um, I don't believe him. The line is a significant problem, and it may be the only problem, quite frankly, for the New York Jets, who are stacked in almost every other way, but that offensive line might be a real problem. Well, I was going to ask, if they do underperform, if it doesn't go to plan, what will be the biggest reason? So is, is it basically the O-line, or are there, are there other concerns that you see with, uh, with the Jets' season? Well, I mean, uh, the, the best way to answer that is um, there's no reason it shouldn't work, uh, but it should have worked when Brett Favre was there. You know, it should have worked uh, a bunch of times. The other issue is the Jets. They're the Jets. You know, I have a buddy of mine uh, who works in the in the business, and his response to me is, "Every decision the Jets make, I just expect it to go poorly." <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about a team that hasn't been in a Super Bowl since Super Bowl three. We're competing for uh, the right to play in Super Bowl fifty eight. They've been to one and won one. They haven't been close since. And, and, you know, that's sort of the scenario here. Getting to the AFC championship game, that's not good enough. You know, they did that with Mark frickin' Sanchez in back-to-back years. This Jets team, to justify the move for Aaron Rodgers, has to get to a Super Bowl, bottom line. And in the loaded AFC, I mean, forget the AFC East, which is difficult, Let's just look at the the conference. I've never seen a wider gap in terms of elite quarterback play between the two conferences than the AFC has over the NFC right now. I mean, the top seven quarterbacks outside of Jalen Hurts are probably all AFC QBs. If you take away Jalen Hurts, who's the next best quarterback in the NFC? Is it Dak Prescott? Is it Kirk Cousins? Is it Matthew Stafford coming off injury? I mean, it is a real, real big gap between the gauntlet of top quarterbacks in the AFC as opposed to the NFC. 
Can a tortured franchise history affect a team? I was reading an article recently on uh, the Chargers, and basically they were they were they were saying like we got to stop chargering, right? Like it's become a verb yeah. now when you start having leads in games and blowing big leads. It almost becomes part of your franchise identity. And some of the players are sitting there going like you know like there's that feeling of here we go again. Well, the answer there is, first of all, well, first of all, before I get to the answer, uh, that's that's ex- uh, accepting the premise that the Chargers actually have a fan base. <laughs> that's true. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, they might be the one. They yeah. might be the one team in the NFL that has like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. Yeah. We'll go. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah. I mean, and there are some diehard Charger fans, but I would not look at the Charger fan base and say, "Whoa, those guys get it. They are." all in. Um, so yeah, I think it can, I think, it, I think it can because, you know, football is such an emotional sport. It is such an emotional sport. It has to be played with this, this level of passion that requires you to do things on the field that you would never do in any other aspect of your life. And that's an, that's an unavoidable reality. And so I, I, I do think it's possible because Doubt creeps in. Like, look, if they start great, people will say, yeah, but I'm worried. And if they start slow, people will say, yeah, and I told you so. Um, the, the, the problem for the Jets is, is, the, is the Jets. And they have, have shown a history of, of not doing the right things. Now, I do believe that Joe Douglas, the GM, and Robert Sala are difference makers. I do believe that. But, you know, it's going to be a challenge for them if, again, this gets off out of the gates poorly for Rodgers and company. We're talking NFL here with Trey Wingo on uh, Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. Uh, another team that I think is going to be in the spotlight this year, and uh, they've kind of become linked after some comments from Sean Payton, the Denver Broncos. And, you know, I know you had a chance to uh, to talk with Sean Payton uh, one-on-one earlier this summer, and there's been so much conversation about, okay, how, how he can help, you know, the offensive mind of Sean Payton, how he can help Russell Wilson rebound from last year. What specifically can Sean Payton do to to put Russell Wilson in a position to succeed? Well, first of all, the most important thing Sean came in and and did sort of the Belichick thing was all this other crap stops now, right? Like this, all this other stuff like your own office and your own staff. No, get out. Mm-hmm. That's done. There's one voice. And say whatever you want about Belichick. Even when Tom Brady was there, there was one collective voice coming out of New England. That was Bill Belichick. Um, so I think that's the first thing he can do. And, you know, Sean got into a lot of hot water for the comments he made about uh, Nathaniel Hackett and some of the other things. Uh, but I think he did that on purpose because I think he wanted to say to his team, guys, you weren't the problem. He was the problem. And I think that's brilliant coaching. I mean, to me, that's him saying, guys, what we have here is good. The problem was the guy that's not here anymore. And that's a very effective tool. Now, it's also very true that very rarely do coaches bash other coaches so publicly. But if we're honest about it, Nathaniel Hackett could not have been more over his skis as a head coach last year. And we saw that week one Monday night where they had a chance to go down there and put some points to win the game. And instead, he drained 50-plus seconds without calling a timeout to attempt one of the longest field goals in NFL history to try and extend the game. That's bad coaching. That's just bad coaching. Okay, and it never got any better. Uh, so two things can be true at one time. Most coaches don't say the things that Sean did, 
and Nathaniel Hackett was not good. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that Sean did that for a reason, and I think it was calculated. Who do you think is going to have a happier season, Nathaniel Hackett working with Aaron Rodgers or Sean Payton working with Russell Wilson? Well, um, I, I think that the odds are it's Nathaniel Hackett because Aaron Rodgers has his back so strongly that even if it goes poorly, I don't think Rodgers is going to say, well, Nathaniel Hackett was clearly the issue again here. <laughs> uh, and then the other problem is that uh, – uh, for the Sean Payton and the Broncos, that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are still there. And as long as those two are together, you start there and you work your way down in the entire NFL. And for people to think anything else, I would just say, what have you been watching over the last five years? This is where we are. This is where it is. This is the reality of the situation. And everything else trickles down from there. Uh, another uh, figure in the NFL that I'm fascinated by this season is uh, Eric Bieniemy, who leaves uh, Kansas City, makes the lateral move to join the Washington Commanders as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, Bieniemy is somebody we've talked about a lot over the last few seasons as, as Mahomes and the Chiefs have just, you know, set the league on fire offensively. And it, it seems like so many coordinators in his position would have got that uh, that head coaching opportunity. There's going if if Washington's offense isn't great, isn't very good. There's going to be this rush to kind of say, "See, it was all Patrick Mahomes, it was all Andy Reid in Kansas City, it wasn't Eric Bieniemy." I mean, how much are we going to actually learn about Bieniemy this year uh, running the Washington offense? Yeah, that's a really good question because for all the things about was it Bieniemy, was it Andy, was it Mahomes? If it's Bieniemy, he's got to make it work with Sam. Yeah. Let, let's just, I mean, let's just, let's just gauge the reality of the situation. You know, if someone's going to say, well, clearly it wasn't the enemy that was the difference maker, you have to put the caveat in, but it's Sam Howell over Patrick Mahomes. Now, if the enemy does make it work with Sam Howell, then you have a long way of going, well, the enemy was a big part of this. And I will tell you, for people in Kansas City and around, Andy Reid, like, let me just say this. For all the people that are freaking out about BME one way or the other. And I hope he does great. I've known Eric a long time. I hope everything goes great. But at the end of the day, there was a reason he kept coming back on an expiring contract, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason. The last two years, Andy Reid brought him back on an expiring contract. Why is that? I don't know what the answer is, but that should be an indication of the Chiefs as an organization felt comfortable with what they had in place should Eric Bieniemy go somewhere else or be taken somewhere else? And why that is, is, is a great question and open for debate. But the reality of the situation is it was the situation. And that makes you wonder what was the thought process in Kansas City to be comfortable with that level of exposure. Yeah, Kansas City is pretty interesting in their own right, I think, because obviously, you know, transitioning without the enemy now, and then also the wide receiver depth chart in in KC is going to be really, really interesting. Now, obviously, Travis Kelsey is still there as the number one pass-catching option, but beyond that, uh, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, does it matter at all, or is it just, you know you know what, it's Mahomes, Kelsey, and, and Andy Reid, and they're still going to be great? Well, it matters to some degree, but again, last year they lost arguably the best receiver in football and replaced him with a TikTok star in Juju Smith-Schuster. And Patrick Mahomes led the league in passing yards, touchdown passes, and set the single-season record for most combined yards 
in NFL history. So it is always Patrick Mahomes. It is always Travis Kelsey. And I will say this, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, I think, is going to play very well this year. I think you're going to see improvements from Sky Moore. Uh, and this kid, Justin Ross, Oh, I mean, by the way, Kadarius Tony was a, one of the most unbelievable moves of the entire 2022 season, preseason, postseason, whatever. It was a, it was a steal. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be a huge dynamic playmaker for them. But if this kid, Justin Ross, can stay healthy, and that is a massive if, and I want to be clear, it is a massive if, uh, the Chiefs will be just fine. Uh, this kid, if he, would, if he could have come out after his freshman year at Clemson, he would have been a first-round pick but he's just been battling injuries. And he went down a few days ago in camp and came back the next day, which was a really good sign. He caught a touchdown pass and a rather blah game for the chiefs uh, against the saints. There's, there's enough for Mahomes to work with there. Um, you know, you watch these, these guys that go to, I mean, there's a reason Juju signed a one year, $9 million deal to go to Kansas city. Right. With the way he was playing before then. And there's a reason why after a year with Patrick Mahomes, he gets a $36 million deal. Okay. Juju didn't change. The, th- the quarterback throwing to him changed. So that's what we have to process here is that Mahomes is light years ahead of everybody. And he's proving it year in, year out with what he has to work with. Uh, Trey, we really appreciate you making time. I, I wanted to give you a chance, first of all, to tell our listeners where they can follow you, where they can find your work. And then I, I also know following you uh, on Twitter that uh, you've been sharing some great information about how everyone can help uh, people in Maui and, and Lahaina specifically uh, based on what's going on there right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah. Uh, first of all, you can find me on the 3013 Pro Football Network. I've got a new podcast coming out with Amazon and Wondery called Making Waves. I've got another one coming out that hasn't been announced yet, but that will be coming soon. I also do some work for the PGA Tour, uh, and uh, I also uh, work with my good friend Mark Slareff on an app called The Stunt. Uh, you can download it uh, in your Google Play or your Apple uh, App Store. But as far as Maui, just briefly, uh, it's been a part of our lives for you know a quarter century now. We have a house there. We live there uh, a large portion of the year, and to see what happened there is just absolutely heartbreaking and devastating, and the death toll continues to rise. There are so many people that lost everything, and Maui is just one of the most special places on the planet, uh, and we want to keep that aloha spirit going. And anything you can do to donate, uh, these are some charities that go directly straight to the victims without any red tape. It's MauiUnitedWay.org and HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. Lahaina was just the spiritual capital of the Hawaiian Islands, let alone Maui, and it, it meant so much as an ancestral place for the native Hawaiians. Uh, it's just a devastating loss, and it needs to be preserved, and it needs to be brought back the way it was. So the best way you can donate as the death toll continues to rise for the survivors who literally lost everything in seconds, MauiUnitedWay.org or HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. Trey, really appreciate it. Well said. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting our listeners know about that, and thanks for making time for us today. Anytime, guys, and I appreciate that, and let's keep the Aloha spirit alive. Mahalo. Absolutely. Uh, that is Trey Wingo, senior NFL analyst, as he mentioned, with Pro Football Network uh, and the 33rd team, and uh, as he said, lives in Maui a large part of the year. And, you know, I know in this in, in Vancouver and in B.C., there's a lot of people with uh, a connection uh, to Maui, obviously very popular vacation destination from here. When I was in Maui a couple years ago, um, I don't think I saw more 
sports team logos than the Canucks. Yeah. Like you, Maui is the type of place where you'll like run into people you know. Because <laughs> of Vancouverites, you know, and I know, and I know there's a lot of people that would love to go to Maui but haven't, but, but a lot of people have, right? Mm-hmm. And they have these, they have these incredible memories there. Whether they're family vacations or whether they're just, you know, vacations you take during the dark, wet yep. winter months here in Vancouver where you just get away and you recharge and it's paradise over there. Mm-hmm. And now you see some of the the visuals and you hear some of the stories and you're kind of like, you can't believe that the places where you were walking around so carefree and so happy that happened to that especially Lahaina specifically it's just like yeah. you know I've I'm lucky enough to have been to Maui a few times and Lahaina is just such a beautiful as you say yeah. carefree like incredible magical place and then mm-hmm. to see the, juxtapose with your memories and right. then the images coming out of it it's like it's unthinkable it's just yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm glad Trey was able to pass along uh, some ways uh, we can help uh, this text also says you guys have been getting a lot of great questions in this interview yeah, yeah, yeah. Trey well, Marcus was, Trey was very generous. So Marcus and Gibson's texted in on what we learned and said that I hadn't received a great question since my return. That is a lie. I had received a couple of great questions, perhaps. My great questions per 60 was down a little bit upon my return, but I'd still, I had not been shut well, out. That's to be expected. I'm not getting you're, shut out. You're, you're getting back into, into, into game shape, right? Yeah, well, exactly, right? Uh, Adam Stanley's going to join us uh, next for a little golf talk. Uh, we'll throw around the idea of team golf on the PGA Tour and whether or not that could work. We'll also talk about uh, the BMW Championship as it heads into the Tour Championship. And then also... Who's going to get picked on the Ryder Cup? Do you go with Lucas Glover with your if you're the Americans, or do you go with JT? Um, Drancer's going to join us at 7.30. We can kick around some Canucks topics. Uh, and then Richie Larea of the Whitecaps, newly of the Whitecaps, says the Whitecaps prepare to play this weekend at BC Place and then uh, go on the road forever. I think they have seven straight road game. So we'll talk to one of the newest Whitecaps about why Vancouver and if he plans to sign long-term here in Vancouver. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.